I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Allianz. Together, our aim is that these podcasts can help you in your own personal and professional life. You'll be introduced to people who can inspire and change the way you think, with their stories of facing life's challenges, often helped by having the right team behind them. We have some wonderful characters and life lessons on the series already. Do subscribe and go back to listen to the likes of Bruno Bosniak and Todd Hodgetts if you can. This week's guest is someone who at only 13 years of age has the potential to change how disability is viewed in Africa and around the world. Husna Kukandakwe is a swimmer from Uganda and in amongst loving Harry Potter and SpongeBob SquarePants, she's determined to make the Tokyo Paralympics and be a figurehead for disability sport and awareness in her home continent. You will be captivated by her maturity and positive nature. Hi Husna, thanks so much for joining us today. Now you're definitely the youngest athlete we've interviewed for this series and I can't wait for people to hear your story and how you're changing perceptions. In terms of your career, it almost sounds silly saying career with a 13-year-old, but you're a real trailblazer. There were only 10 African swimmers out of 593 at the Rio Paralympics, and only four of those were female. And I know you're aiming for Tokyo, which we'll talk about later. But let's just start at the beginning. You were born without your right hand, and I know your left hand is impaired as well. What was that like growing up? Um, it was difficult because I was very shy and I would always try to hide my hand whenever I was out of the house. My mom also told me that she used to hide my hand. So she, then she realized that it was for nothing and she encouraged me to go out in people and be myself. And then I tried sport after my mom encouraged me. And I found out that swimming was where I felt myself the most because I was free and you can't get into the water with maybe an artificial arm or anything else and you have to take off your clothes eventually. So I felt more myself in swimming and I just kept going forward. What was it that made you want to hide your arms when you were younger? People would look at me differently. When I was at school, people would stare at me and maybe some people would laugh. And one time they laughed and I got so angry. And that day I went home and told my mom that these kids were laughing at me and There was nothing I could do about it because, you know, I can't say bad words to them or school rules and stuff like that. And they'll find out that that was actually a very bad idea. And it's interesting that you ended up taking up swimming because, as you say, your your body, anybody's body who, who takes up swimming is kind of out there for everyone to see. So were you nervous about swimming the first time you you tried it? At the age of three is when I started swimming and I wouldn't think so much about my disability because I went to a school with able-bodied people. I did the same things they did. So by then when I got into the water, I didn't feel so different. I realized there was different when I gone primary school. I became very shy and I would always put on my sweater from the moment I step into school to the moment I leave until I realized that I didn't need the sweater anymore. After I started swimming, I was very, very confident. I I didn't find any point of the sweater anymore. It's interesting hearing you speak because um, I spoke to the Irish Paralympic swimmer, Ellen Keane, a few weeks ago. And I know you, 
you've met Ellen and, and I know you listen to yeah. Ellen's podcast and Ellen has a very similar impairment to you and she spoke about similar things she spoke about wearing long sleeves and and even some of her friends at school didn't know she was missing part of her arm until she was you know 18 19 years old she'd managed to hide it for so long how important is 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 Ellen to you and having somebody like Ellen who you can look at and go okay she she looks the same as me and, and look at what she's achieved she's really really an inspiration to me because a while ago I didn't know anything about the Paralympics because in Uganda there isn't many people with disabilities who like to come out and sport isn't very encouraged here in Uganda so when I found out about the Paralympic Games and power swimming, I decided to maybe look through it. Like the time when I went for my first classification and found out about it, try going through social media, see what para swimming does or International Paralympic Committee. And I found out they're doing a really, really good job in encouraging people with disabilities to join sport. And I, I happened to come across Ellen Keane. And you know the poses she makes when she raises her her hands up like she's being free and accepting herself for the way she is she was born like that and there's nothing she could do about it she didn't wear fake arms or stuff like that and I thought to myself how can I do this for myself and it was a very big coincidence to know that she was in swimming and I thought to myself maybe I could be like her someday be free make poses like that with my hand and show everyone, everyone in the world that I can do anything much as I'm disabled. She managed to hide her hand for almost 18 years for nobody to see. And that was kind of depressing for me to hear, knowing that there's such conditions like this, not only in Uganda, but everywhere else in the world is very depressing. And I hope that could change someday. We've got a little surprise for you here, Hosna. Listen to this. Hi, Husna. It is your Irish friend here, Alan Keane. Um, I just wanted to say a big hello to you. I hope you've managed to train throughout this whole pandemic and that you're eager to get racing again. It was absolutely lovely to meet you last year in London and I was so impressed with how fast you were swimming. It's a bit disappointing that we didn't get to meet each other again this year, but I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. I can't wait to see you again and see how far you've come since the last time I saw you. So good luck. Keep training hard and I can't wait to see you again. Bye. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's put a smile on your face. I can hear. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm even going to turn on my camera. Wow. <laughs> you happy with that yes thank you so much <laughs> the fact that you in uganda have been made aware of someone like ellen in the republic of ireland is quite something and testament to the global reach of the paralympics and you're now following in her footsteps and swimming all around the world yourself but can you take us back to the early days and tell us how you first got into swimming so there was this coach who i think yeah he was my first coach and he didn't see me different. He saw that I liked the water. He he also encouraged me to to not be afraid of the other kids the way they saw me. So in my first pool, I was just playing around. And then when I went to primary school, I decided to try competitive swimming. I didn't get to participate in one of the races. 
I was very depressed. Yeah. Yes, tell me about that actually, Hasnara, because I read about this. So one of your first swimming competitions you went to, you took part in one race and then you weren't allowed to take part in the second race. And that that was your first taste of discrimination in a sporting context, I guess. So how did that make you feel to, to not be allowed to take part fully? I was angry and I was very disappointed in in my teachers because I didn't see myself different because we all go to the same school. We do basically almost the same stuff. I can do anything an able-bodied person can do. And when I didn't get to participate in the second race and I was switched for someone who was thought to be faster than me or who the teachers thought would be better than me at that race, made me very, very disappointed. I, Since my dad was around, I just... I just told him to take me home. After that, I stopped swimming for a while, like one year. I tried different sports at school. I tried football. I tried volleyball. tried netball. But those didn't work out so well. But as a footballer, I I was mostly the goalkeeper because while I was in strike, my friends wouldn't pass to me the ball. And that also was another kind of discrimination because my friends thought I couldn't do as well as they did because i wonder i mean i must admit i've i've never actually been to africa i've i've not been to uganda but in your experience what is the the general attitude towards disabled people and disabled children in uganda and in and and in that region of africa in like the rural areas of uganda um people like me don't like to come out parents who give birth to children with disabilities are seen to be as cast how could you have a kid that looks like this? And sometimes they'll even go to like the traditional gods, pray to them because they think maybe giving birth to a child with a disability is a major cause. Yet it just happened. There was nothing you could do about it. The child was born like that. And also that job opportunities for people with disabilities are very, very low. Like people in wheelchairs, there, are, there aren't many ramps and buildings. and also, when a person with a disability tries to apply for a certain job, they aren't seen as fit to get those jobs, so they don't get them, leading to people with disabilities losing their self-esteem and confidence. They could start begging on streets or they just decide to drop out of school completely and not pursue the dream that they've always had. So that's very, very depressing. I mean, I know your your mother, Hashima, has been a huge influence on you. I read an incredible interview with your mum and her pride in you just burst out of the page. But she she talks about her feelings of trauma, really, when you were born and how long it took for her to accept you. Is that something you ever speak about together? Can you understand how she might have been feeling when you were born missing missing parts of parts of your arms? I'd ask her random questions about how did I end up like this and how how come I'm different from the others? So I would ask her those questions and she said she was kind of terrified to see me being born like that. She was trying to always hide my hand in public. But then she, she thought to herself, like, what's the point of hiding? Rather encourage me because if she continues hiding me, She'll feel bad about herself because when I would grow old, I would 
tried to hide myself as well, which wouldn't be so good. And and she stopped seeing me as different from other kids. She treated me the same way she treats my other siblings. I would really love for many more parents who have children with disabilities to encourage them and maybe believe in them. And if you believe in them, they'll eventually believe in themselves and they'll want to do what they wanted to do. I know you've competed now around the world, South Korea, Singapore, you came to the Alliance World Para Swimming Championships in London in 2019. When you travel around like that, do you see people with disabilities being treated differently to how they are in Uganda? When I travel around, I see that they're treated as normal people. Like, would go around stadiums and would move around like the mall in Singapore, and maybe some people would look at us differently. But then most of them were accepting, and I thought to myself, why can't Ugandans see? Why can't Ugandans be like this and maybe stop criticizing people with disabilities? And maybe kids in school stop bullying other kids with disabilities and see them as normal people. I really wanted to try to spread the word in Uganda. Most people with disabilities in Uganda are on the streets or they're in the rural areas suffering from poverty because they are rejected. And you know, poverty is, isn't actually caused because they, they can't make the money for themselves. It's because they aren't allowed to get the job opportunities they would love to have. And they are also very shy to come out in public and speak about their rights because they aren't encouraged by society. You know, what's the biggest factor that's holding disabled people back from taking part in sport in Africa? I think it's the way they're treated in public. A child would be rejected by their family and you could see them end up on streets or living in a poor, a poor building, a hut, and then they leave them at home, like trying to hide them from the public and they aren't taken to school. They And if they're taken to school, they're taken to poor schools. Like They have poor buildings and they aren't getting the education that they deserve. That's really, really disappointing. Is that more the case for girls than boys or is it just a problem across the board? It's across the board. Boys, girls, anything. Mm-hmm. And maybe the girls that would want to maybe come out of their houses, they're stopped by their parents and... Sometimes they end up getting into teenage pregnancies, even when they're disabled. And sometimes they can't handle it. So we've talked there about how attitudes towards disability in Uganda can shape the opportunities available to people with an impairment in that part of the world. I'd just like to shift the focus to the equality of opportunity for Paralympic athletes around the world and how it affects you as you try to develop as a swimmer. For instance, am I right in saying that the pools you train at are all outdoors? There are no indoor pools for you to use? Yeah, and so if if it rains, it's a very huge disadvantage because... In Uganda, this November, it's, uh, it's the rainy season, so it rains almost every day. It's, it makes me angry when on the day that I actually get to swim, the pool is really, really dirty and I can't swim in it. Or maybe it's raining really, really heavily and there's lightning and I can't get into the pool. Really, really depressing. <laughs> me training in the kind of swimming pools that I train in, and sometimes they don't even have diving 
words shows uh, other people around the world that you don't need to have a maybe a fancy place to train or major equipment. Mm. You just need to believe in yourself and just focus on your goal. And maybe once in a while I get facilities like that to train in, see how it feels like to be in a competition pool. Like in Uganda, we have only 150-meter pool and it's still outdoors. And sometimes it's dirty or most of the times it's very expensive to access because it's in a very expensive hotel. And once in a while, I get to go there and see how it feels like to swim in a 50-meter pool or in a competition pool. And is that quite, I mean, you mentioned earlier about sport not being um, particularly accessible, let's say. I don't mean from a disability point of view, but um, accessible just to ordinary people in Uganda. It, it felt to me like, and, and I think you've just backed it up there, that access to sport in somewhere like Uganda is often down to how how much uh, money a family has. Yes, and like swimming is a very, very expensive sport. Maybe it also kind of depends on the funds the parents have. If they could be able to support their kids, disabled or not disabled, we Ugandans don't aren't really big fans of sport and mostly parents don't like seeing their children sport, especially when they're in school. Because they see as if they will be distracted from education and yet they can balance both education and sport. And I remember while I was preparing for my final exam, my relatives had thought about it and they, they had told my mom that Hosna should stop swimming for a while, maybe focus on exams. And right during that period was when the championships were coming. I go for training in the morning, get to school read about stuff that I haven't, that I have missed. Maybe ask the teacher to explain to me what I may not have understood in what I've read and also get ready for training again in the evening. You know, balancing school and work, preparing for the championships at the same time. And then, well, the final exams came. I was very, very happy because I was among the best people in the country. I got the best grade. I was very happy to know that it's very, very, very possible to balance being an athlete and being a student at school. Just one question about your swimming, because I, I love this, that, um, you know, we spoke about you being discriminated against in one of your first events and you weren't allowed to fully take part. And now you train alongside non-disabled swimmers, <laughs> which is just, that's brilliant. You brought it full circle. Um, does that does that pose any, any specific challenges when you're training alongside people with two arms and two legs it's tough but i train at their paces uh trying to be as to train with them kind of increases the pace at which i swim at but then the problem comes when it's the competitions like swim meets at times i would yeah make brilliant times make a new personal best but then when it comes to getting medals you know it's usually the top three at the meet to swim meet but not like a championship I'm usually the only disabled swimmer at most of their meets. So it's very difficult to get into the top three. And that must be quite difficult to uh, cope with just from a motivation point of view, because you know that you're a very good swimmer in, in Paralympic terms, but you're racing against people who clearly have an advantage. So does it actually get you quite upset sometimes that you are doing your best, but you're still not making the podium because they have that advantage? Um, yes, it does, because 
I feel bad that I can't get on the podium and get a medal or be handed a medal on my neck like the rest. And after all the hard work that I put into that race, I was, I get very sad. But then, you know, the main reason of the meets I have in Uganda with everybody swimmers is to make a personal best and work to do better in the Paralympic Games or in championships or World Series. Looking ahead to Tokyo, what do you have to do to uh, compete in Tokyo? And would you be actually going... Uh, kind of by yourself or would you be going as part of a Ugandan team do you think? I'm not sure I'll be going with a team because I've seen some potential parasomers in Uganda and but right now they are very young they're 9, 8, 10, 11 and they're not active. I haven't seen them around much since the last time I saw them. Also their parents are reluctant to encourage them my mom has been trying to get into contact with them. Maybe they could go for classification, maybe next two years when they are older. But I'd really love for them to to join Parasumin because I can't keep going alone. Like We need more representatives. And it would also be nice to be part of a team that, you know, I'd love to move around with the team and develop Uganda. And, but for now, we have for now, I move on. I move with my coach and my mom. All of the Paralympians I've spoken to for this podcast, all the all of the Paralympians I've I've met and interviewed in in my jobs over the years, I guess they all have that potential to make a difference. But the unique thing about you is that you are doing it against a backdrop. As I say, there were only ten African swimmers at the Rio Paralympics. Only four of them were female. You're doing it against a backdrop where. Africa and Uganda may not have the same resources as some of the more developed countries like the USA, UK, you know, et cetera, et cetera, European countries. So you, more than, you know, an Ellen Keane or a Johnny Peacock or Marcus Rem or whoever you might pick out as the biggest stars of the Paralympics, you have an even bigger opportunity, but also a responsibility to change people's lives I think but that is an incredible thing to hold on your shoulders because do you do you recognize and as I say you're only 13 so it's strange me asking you such a big question but do you recognize that you have the opportunity to actually make some changes to how disabled people are perceived in Uganda in your village in Africa as a whole potentially yes I realize that and I do my best by Posting about people being discriminated on social media and encouraging people around my country or people around the world, mainly people who who are seeing us differently, and you know try to encourage them to see us as normal people and see us as people who can do everything they can do, much as we are disabled we're just normal people we can do everything and i really love to encourage and spread the word maybe parents who happen to have children with disabilities are encouraged by my mom and are probably inspired because you shouldn't see your child as different shouldn't treat them different from the other children that you may have and maybe other People, people who are able-bodied can learn from children with disabilities to keep working hard and never give up on something you want to achieve. I mean, how 
wonderful would it be for you if there were just more disabled swimmers in Africa who you could compete against on a more regular basis? And uh, I'd really love for many people with disabilities in Uganda or around Africa to come out so we can have like a huge team to encourage other other people with disabilities who might be hiding to go for the sport that they love to do, whether it's swimming or tennis or whatever it is, for them to go for it. And also swim, making swim meets in Uganda for people with disabilities would be a very, very good idea to encourage other people with disabilities to come out if they love swimming and enjoy themselves and be free of who they are. And and you have a you have a role model in this sense as well, because I know as you say, you've you've used your voice and platform already to to express the importance of education. And this is very similar to Malala, Malala Yousafzai, yeah. who I think the whole world knows uh, has used her platform to fight for educational rights and and she won the Nobel Peace Prize in, in twenty fourteen. Is is Malala and her fund, the Malala Fund, a, a particular inspiration to you? Yes, they are because girls are seen as minority to boys. And in Uganda, they're seen as people who are only supposed to get pregnant, have children and keep making families instead of going to school and maybe learning and getting what they want, like a dream job or maybe pursuing a sport that they've always loved and becoming an athlete and participating in the Olympics or Paralympics. And Malala Fund really encourages girls and people with disabilities around the world to go to school and pursue their dream in sport or education and get what they dream about. Um, my mom was thinking of setting up a foundation where I could go to different schools or maybe certain rural areas and maybe speak to people and speak to parents and maybe she could speak to fellow parents on how children with disabilities should be treated and I could speak to fellow people with disabilities how they could believe in themselves and pursue what they want to. It's interesting actually as I, as I speak to you because a couple of times I've said well you're you're only young you're 13 years old etc etc and I hope that doesn't sound patronizing because then I think of uh, somebody like Malala do you feel that actually uh, age doesn't really matter when it comes to trying to make some change in the world age doesn't matter because anyone can do anything to change the world and make it a better place for other people to live in yeah, do you think your young age is actually an advantage? Yes, it's a really huge advantage because the new generation is more creative and will come up with much more better ideas to on how to change the world and make people to see how they can be treated equally or maybe even the new generation come up with new and better rights for people to follow. I just want to finish by just coming back to Malala. Yeah, I don't think she came from a particularly sporting background. So actually somebody like yourself could really bring that element into all of all of her work with the Malala Fund. Yeah, like she came from Pakistan in a not very rich family, but she decided that she would help make change in the world. And she believed in herself and look at the change she's already making. She's encouraged people around the world to believe in themselves, girls, 
She has encouraged girls to go back to school and people with disabilities to pursue what they've loved to do. She's an inspiration to everyone. And what would you say to some of the adults who I think we can be forgiven for calling ignorant, who dismiss young women, and it does seem to be women more often than not, making a change in the world like, like Malala and, for example, the climate campaigner Greta Thunberg and yourself, and they say, oh, they're just young people, they're children perhaps. They don't know what they're talking about. I think they should stop being arrogant and actually try to educate themselves about stuff like this because a teenager like that to have the guts to walk up to an adult, to an ignorant person and teach them about stuff like that should really encourage other people to educate themselves more about stuff like this and maybe they could help her and help around the world change it to make it a better place because if a teenager can do that and already make so much change in the world why wouldn't uh an adult try to do the same you know well listen i mean i i wish you all the luck in the world and i'm sure everybody listening has been completely charmed by you and impressed by you and i'm sure we would all join in wishing you well with that so i really look forward to hopefully being able to watch you swim in in Tokyo next year and perhaps I'll be able to come and uh, and watch you and meet you. Thank you so much. I'd really love to see you there. I can't be alone in having to remind myself during that interview that Husna Kukandakwe is only 13 years old. It made me think about uh, how I might have spoken in public when I was 13. Such maturity from one so young. If you're so inclined, I'd love it if you subscribed to this podcast and looked up some of the other episodes featuring Paralympic athletes with amazing stories to tell, such as Grace Wembalua and Mika Horsberg. Next week, I speak to another swimmer, but this one from a completely different part of the world and with a different set of challenges to face. Colombian Carlos Serrano is one of the most passionate and purposeful athletes around. He's now juggling training with being a father and we'll talk about motivation and engagement. Speak then.